Hi, and welcome to episode 125 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and today I'm bringing you a conversation with one of my previous podcast guests, Steve Lopez, whose work is now hanging in the S.H. Irvin Gallery in Sydney. But it's not just another show of his latest work. It's called Encountered, and it's a survey show curated by Con Guriotis of over 80 paintings, as well as rarely seen drawings, prints, and collages, together with Steve's diaries and sketchbooks, created over a period of about 25 years. It's a knockout show and a must-see, especially for those interested in figurative painting. In my previous interview with Steve, he mentioned that he's interested in that gritty element in a painting and said that to be successful, the work requires a little bit of poison. Funnily enough, though, when I entered the exhibition a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't only the grittiness that jumped out at me, but also an overwhelming sense of humanity, not only emanating from his figures, but in the landscapes they inhabited. Steve has exhibited in close to 40 solo shows across Australia and in London and Hong Kong. He's won the Gallipoli Art Prize and the King's School Art Prize and has been shortlisted in many others. His work is held in the National Gallery of Australia, the Parliament House Collection, the State Library of New South Wales and many other public collections as well, of course, as many private ones. We met at the gallery as the show was still being installed, so you can hear in the background the sound of paintings being hung on the walls. And we talked about a few of the works in particular. So if you have a chance to get to the gallery, you can look at the works we talk about, but you can also see images of those works on the website talkingwithpainters.com. The show continues at the gallery until the 8th of May and then we'll travel on to Orange Regional Gallery from the 21st of May. So there's another opportunity to see it there if you miss it in Sydney. So here is my conversation with Steve Lopez at the SH Irvin Gallery in Sydney. Congratulations, Steve, on this brilliant show. I can't believe it. It's fabulous. We're surrounded by over 80 paintings over like a quarter of a century of work, which is absolutely incredible. Now I'm feeling old. (laughs) You don't look that old, I've got to tell you. Um, But how does it feel? It must be so weird having all these paintings come together. I know, it's pretty spooky. It's like seeing things I've done 25 years ago and I can still remember the day I did them and it's like having lost kids and you found them again or something in a way. It's just like, oh, it's very emotional. It's more emotional than I thought it would be, but um, I'm very happy. Well, what we were saying before was how colour like more colourful they appear than when they're online yeah I I don't know if it's the lighting or what but maybe I'm more uh, colourful painter than I thought I was everybody thinks I'm a bit of a tonal painter here and there but I probably use uh, areas in the painting more colour than I um, even thought that I did so when you see them all together you see all these reds pinks yellows and they look quite bright yeah, well, I thought we could sort of go, just go to a few paintings just to give the listener a flavour of what this show sure. is like and get a personal account of some of these paintings. And in, like, I, we, I thought we could start with this painting behind you yeah. here. Let's just walk over here um, to Trench Life. And, um, you know, this is so interesting. I mean, talking about colour, you know, you wouldn't think that a trench would be colourful, but there is a lot of colour coming through with that. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting painting. We're looking at a trench, but it looks like it's a trench that's, you know, from the past. It's yep. like there's no human presence in it anymore. Um, can you tell me a bit about this work and how it came about? Yeah, sure. Uh, this was part of a... I did a trip to Gallipoli uh, for the 100-year anniversary 
uh, back in 2015, and we were there in 2014, and we spent two weeks at Gallipoli. And this was the neck, the trenches at the neck. And uh, one of my favorite painters is Otto Dix, who was actually in the war, in the First World War, and he painted um, trench life and stuff like that. And I was quite inspired by his work. And at the time, I'm, I'm a figurative painter, but I didn't feel like any of my paintings needed figures in them. So I said, how do I activate it, that landscape, and just, instead of just painting something that I saw, give it some life? And I tried to almost reimagine what it was like when it was active. So I've done a dark sky, it's actually just the, the gestural marks of painting, but is it um, in the middle of war? Is this what they would have seen? And I actually spent uh, most of my time in these trenches down below, and you felt the presence of what was actually there beforehand. And it was really strange to be painting and documenting something that was from the past, but in the now. So these are the actual trenches. These are still remnants of the, of the, the wiring and what happened during the war. But you can still feel this sort of mood and the presence of uh, what happened there yeah, 100 years down the track. Definitely. And so this painting, I hope, is a, um, uh, a good representation of how I was feeling and what I wanted to get across back then. Well, what, one of the interesting things, like um, as looking at it as a painting, is uh, these posts that you see, the posts that held the bar, well, the wire that was, a, you can see parts of wire around the, these posts. It sort of really leads you into the painting because you've got a sort of a number of yeah. them that, that leads the eye into the painting. Is that something that you would uh, manipulate in the studio? Yeah, I do, but I don't, I don't think, of it, think of it that consciously. It sort of comes instinctually. Are they sort of posts like almost uh, um, figures, representations of people that were there or have they got some more meaning than just being posts? And do they, they lead the, the eye through the actual painting it's part of the cycle of the, the image. You know, you, you start up here and they f make you, f it's a, like a, almost a, a formal approach to um, what you're doing with the painting to make it interesting. So it's not something that I plan. I try not to plan too much. It sort of just comes out of you a bit. And this sort of led itself by being there, the experience, working off my notes and my studies. And then you do this on a bigger scale back in the studio and it all comes naturally. It's, it's hard to sort of express on how they come about but it's not something that I pre-planned. It just sort of came out, this painting. And how was it, what was it like? So a group of you went to Gallipoli. Um, yeah, there was 10 painters who went on uh, the trip uh, and um, we all went around to different areas of Gallipoli and focused on different places that appealed to us. And it was a really wonderful experience. Uh, we were there with a war historian who taught us about um, in depth what happened there and what battles. And we all came away with our paintings and, and we came away ourselves changed and sort of, uh, was a different painting trip than what we're used to. And uh, it's been ages since we've been there, but I still think elements of that trip have uh, stayed in my painting and what I've been doing now. Um, and it's made me think more about being uh, a landscape painter and what you need to do and what you're focusing on, not just capturing what you're seeing, do something more to it than just look and put in a way. And so I think I've been uh, markedly affected by that trip over, the, over time and it stayed and resonated with me. That's why I went back and did the Western Front trip as well a few years later and saw a different part of where the war was. So I wouldn't say that I, I'm a war painter or anything like that or have a big interest in it, but I do think the historical side of things is important to still um, almost respect what people have done before us. And uh, if artists can help in any way, then it's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I should. I also should mention that you know we've got that there are people still installing this show in the background, so that's it's why you happening. can you can hear the drilling and everything. So that's you know you know getting a flavour of what it's like here today. But um, 
Also, of course, you know, you won the Gallipoli Prize. Talking about Gallipoli, you won the Gallipoli Prize with this other painting that we're looking right next to us called um, Exposed Wood Mont Saint Quentin. And people can go to our interview, episode 47, to hear you talk about that I've because it's that really before, interesting yeah. about that. So, um, yeah, that, that is one of my favourites, I've got to say. Absolutely beautiful. I love the way you've done the sky in that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's, go, let's go to... Um, another painting which is also a landscape painting without a figure in it and that's it's called Aurora Track and it's really really a very interesting work um, and it feels like we're observing this scene because especially with that on the right hand side you've got just glimpses of another structure as if we're looking through something else and we're observing this almost an abandoned scene is that somewhere you've been can you tell me a bit about that I, I really like this painting because it's an amalgam of places I've been to. So I did a residency in China for uh, about six weeks and I've been back there a couple of times. And I don't know, with, with China it's so populated that when you see an empty space or a bit of landscape amongst the I was in Beijing, um, it's, it stands out. And I'm attracted to sort of abandoned things and remnants and relics and they appear often in my paintings. And so this central point was this little gap um, on the way to the residency when I used to walk to, this, to the shops and then come back and it kept calling out to me. But then I went on a trip to Queenstown um, with a couple of painters years ago as well, just after the residency. And it was an old mining town in um, the South Island called um, Bendigo of all places. And it was an old gold mining town. And there was all these little remnants and relics and it reminded me of China. And so I started to put together some sketches and ideas from the, a few years back with what I was painting then. And then I went back to the studio when I came back to Sydney, my home studio, and put this picture together. So it's got about four or five different places. And it's also a little place I got down in Bungonia in New South Wales. There's a little back track and I actually painted it from some uh, drawings that I did from there. So it's a bit of China, New Zealand and Australia. And out of it came a... Um, picture called Aurora Track and that Aurora is probably related to the Aurora Borealis you know the lighting also the the stars you know the um, the connection to the southern hemisphere and it's sort of to me an Antipodean name um, and trying to locate it but it's an imagined landscape. Oh so it's imagined that's so, so yeah. interesting and that's a great example of a, a studio work isn't yeah it? so it lives in its own right people can come to it in their own way and get their own story from it it's based in experience, but it's not. So it lives in its own little world. And sometimes that's what I try to do with my paintings, create something that's real, but also imagined. And but basically that's my experience. And that mm -hmm. gives you something a bit different in your painting than just um, being obvious and just sitting in the landscape and painting what you see. It really pushes you yourself in the studio and pushes your skills. And sometimes it falls down in a heap but sometimes it works. And um, yeah, when I saw this one, I uh, hadn't seen it in a long time. It was like, brought back all those feelings of struggling in the studio, trying yeah, to get it together. So, right. Yeah. And is that something that you, would you sort of turn it to the wall and leave it for a few weeks or something like that? What would you do? Oh yeah, they always, well, they always piss you off paintings. They, you're never happy with them. And um, sometimes when I'm really battling with one, I'll turn it away and not look at it for a couple of weeks or even a month. Um, and I make sure it's never facing if you see that spot that in the corner of your eye in the studio it just annoys you so you always turn to the back so you're only seeing the back then you come back and you see it afresh and you instantly can see oh it needs more black or it needs more color or i need to get rid of this and that and you, that 
first um, viewing that instant is where you can really pick up and really um, not get bogged down in it. Because if you sit there and battle away, battle away, you just make a big turgid mess. So it's best to just put it away and leave it and come back to it. Well, that's how I work. Yeah. Well, it, actually, it's really interesting to hear about your studio process because I want to talk about the contrast with that with your plein air work. Mm. And there are quite a few plein air works. Yeah, there are. There are. There's quite a few um, plein air um, paintings. And I think Con uh, Guriotis, who's the curator, wanted to show the actual works done in the landscape and how they affect the studio pictures and how important both that process is yeah, to definitely. doing the, the, the work. So, yeah, yeah, so let's, well, let's go over and see a great example of your plein air work, which okay. is called um, Jamboree Creek Bed Study, an absolutely beautiful work. And I think one of the first things that jump out at you when you're looking at your plein air work is the brush work is a lot more sort of vibrant, a lot more spontaneous. It seems more spontaneous. Um, can you tell me a bit about this work and what you can remember about it? Um, well, this work was done in the landscape. It's a sort of a largest picture for a landscape work or a plain air work. And um, it was done at uh, Guy Warren's Jamboree property. He's got a little, uh, the, the hundred year old painter who was the subject of the Archibald Wynn recently. Um, it was, He's got a little shack in the bush which he's had for oh, since the 70s and we went down a group of painters and I've been down a couple of times just with him and uh, we did a little show of all works around his property and it was, fan it was really wonderful, fantastic to be in like a, a bit more of a rainforest setting than more of a bush setting or a bit more open uh, area. So there was a little track that went down to this little um, creek and it was just trickling there and I was there with uh, Ewan McLeod and Luke Skibberis, just the three of us and we were mucking around and painting. And I, I wasn't really thinking about this painting as I was painting it. I was really? just responding. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I didn't even think. I was just, look, we were mucking around and talking and I was just painting what I saw. And you're right, you know, there are more spontaneous marks and there's a lot more vibrancy because you're not um, uh, thinking too hard about it. Um, but that sort of then led to a whole series of paintings. And this particular painting sort of, informed what I was doing colour-wise, mark-wise, back in the studio. So it was a really important picture. And that's why I think the curators put it in the show to sort of show how these marks and that colour that you can only get from being in the landscape can really inform your bigger works and what you're doing back at home in the studio. It's really important and it's hard to do. It's uncomfortable. There were mozzies around. It's hot. <laughs> you're dragging these paintings and your paints everywhere. You've got to deal with your with your annoying company at the time and, and then you're trying to concentrate on painting. So you haven't really, you can't sit there all serious and say, I'm going to paint this masterpiece. So some yeah. of them work and some of them don't. Yeah. And I think on this occasion, this one worked. So oh, you can sort definitely. Of, you I can love sort of this see one. The, this moss colour, there was all the rocks that were all full of green moss. It was really vibrant green. It wasn't something that you could even imagine. And these, uh, the orange earth, and this is something that's some um, really inspired guy in his own paintings, that south coast, New South Wales um, area. So for me, I hadn't really painted too many um, tropical sort of pictures before or rainforesty pictures. So yeah. I, I thought, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that whole thing. It was well, quite fun. When I look at this, I think of uh, the fun trip on that one. It was, it was yeah, quite with a you and, and Luke. And, yeah, yeah, it was quite <laughs> funny. So no, I enjoyed it. Well, you know what, this painting, this, is, this to me is a really joyous work. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have that thing that you always talk about that you like to have in your paintings, which is that element of poison. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. It's not one of those dark, depressing paintings. It's a real, this one's one of my fun ones. I do have a, I do have a little bit of a fun side occasionally. So yeah, this is yeah. when it came out. And also the other thing with this work, of course, is that it doesn't have uh, 
a figure in it. So I did want to move on to uh, a work that does have multiple figures in it, actually, and a lot of your works do have the figure in it. And it's called Uncommon Figures, and it's of five figures on a pebbly shoreline with one one of the figures more in the background working on a like a pier-like structure, but the rest of the figures are looking in probably in different directions. Can you tell me a bit about the story behind this work? Well, some of these people in this work are Europeans, they're family members. And uh, I went to uh, Darwin, to the Northern Territory, uh, a couple of years ago and really uh, fell in love with the place and the people and the history behind it all. And, you know, uh, people from Europe had been coming to Australia even before, you know, uh, Captain Cook and the the um, official sort of uh, histories that uh, we got brought up on, I guess, at schools. So that there was, there's more of a story to Australia than what we've given. And so I wanted to sort of imagine what it was like in maybe a modern setting, what it would have been like for Europeans coming on our land. So it's a bit of a, uh, a comment maybe on my part on actually experiencing the landscape up there. This is actually Kingscliff up in Darwin and imagining it without the houses and Europeans plonking themselves on our land um, that's why they've got bare feet. Sometimes the bare feet are very important in my pictures, sort of not locating it to a certain time or place. Um, and there's some um, bones on the floor there. And that's actually some uh, pictures of indigenous, which I've seen from Arnhem Land, from indigenous um, uh, things of their bones. And they actually used to take in, um, bones back to England and overseas in Europe and make them as a museum piece. That's so quite a dark picture. Um, and I got permission from the artist's who did this thing from uh, uh, up in Queensland, uh, where I show, to use some of those images, and they allowed that to happen. Um, and it's a comment on that sort of movement between the official stories of what's happened here in Australia and the darker side of occupying a land. Um, and it's done in more of a contemporary way, and from a white person's view, of being the actual instigators of that sort of stuff, what must it have felt like to come in and take over and develop? So it's a bit of a different picture but I've painted in a colourful way and tried to subvert things. And sometimes it can be almost like um, this confusion. It's this like uncommon figures. They're not common to the land. What are we doing here? Do we belong? We're all refugees. We're all moving around. We've all got our stories. And I'd like to think that we're all part of one community as humans. And it's, there's a consequence to what we do. So through painting, sometimes I try to explore those weird, confusing sort of um, I guess concepts and not always successful but I like to attempt to do it and uh, try to through paint um, see how I can sort of play my part in a way. And also you know I was really interested to read the um, curator's comment, Con Guriotis's comment about when he talks about your figures in a painting and he is saying how um, that your people appear unaware of each other or anything around them. And mm. I thought he put his finger on something because there's something about them that is very universal and sort of dislocated almost. Mm. Um, is that something that you're aware of, that you're, you're striving for? Yeah, or? I am aware of that. I do. Th some of the European masters, the painters that I love, even like uh, uh, Caravaggio, you know, Masaccio, uh, Norwegian artist Odd Nerdrum, um, and just like Guido Rennie, some great painters, even the even Ribera, who have just bought the, the National Art Gallery in New South Wales and bought a Ribera, which is wonderful. I suggest everybody go run there and have a look at that work. But they've all got a universality to the painting, uh, to the figure, um, and it could be anywhere at any time. And that's why a lot of the time I try not to do too contemporary um, wardrobe. It's still of the now, but it could be in 50 years' time you look back on it 
and it could still last. I think that's where sometimes people can be too contemporary in their thing and it dates their paintings. That's why shoes are really important. I think you have a look at all the great paintings like Masaccio and um, the Italians, Giotto, Fra Angelico, they've all got bare feet. And that's a, a conscious thing, which I do on purpose as well. And it just adds to the, the dumbness of humanity. We are, you know, we are stupid. You know, look what's happening around the world. And that um, thing of not knowing what's going on around you adds to the drama sometimes too. And that stupefying feeling that we're all confused, just living, it's hard enough just to be ourselves. And the thing that we should all be nice to each other, do the best we can for each other and just get, um, and try to be peaceful. It seems, it is stupid that we can't do that. Yeah. You know, we're in 2022 and we're still carrying on like we were centuries ago. So that's why I guess I paint, I paint the dumb humanity sometimes. I try to also show the positive side of things, but um, I think it's a life thing. Um, we're always coming to grips with ourselves throughout a whole life cycle. And I think paintings, if they're gonna last the test of time, have to be able to keep speaking years on down the track. And that's what I try to do with figures in the landscape. Mm. So I love landscape, I love figures, I try to put them together. I wouldn't say I'm a landscape painter, but sometimes I just feel like, oh, I'm just gonna paint landscapes, you know, for, for a couple of months. So I don't sort of try to categorize myself as anything. And I think that's maybe one thing you'll see in the show and what the curators tried to do, Con, um, has tried to show how paintings can exist in their own right and you can feed off everything to make a good image. So. Uh, it is a bit of a strange, different show, but I'm really proud of it. And I guess it's something I've just forged through over years and years trying to work out myself what I do. And it comes out hopefully in, in the paintings oh, and the I show. Think, I think it's absolutely fabulous. And, and I think another thing with this, with this painting we're talking about is that, you know, I find it really interesting how the central figure has a sort of patterned shirt as opposed to the others where it's just like one colour. I know we talked about in our previous interview about patterning, but can you tell me about whether that's a deliberate use of patterning in this work? Yeah, I think what it does is if it was just a flat um, area, um, you probably, it probably would die. So it's also it's a formal thing where it's something that I've got to do to, to keep the painting alive in certain areas. But it's also a tribal thing. It's actually flannelette, um, <laughs> so it's quite boring. It's... I hate to say it, I'm Italian. It's a wog thing. We all, our parents, my dad, we all wear flannelette. You know, that's, and this is a, a, an uncle um, who goes to the markets and wears flannelette everywhere. But it's yeah. also, you could imagine that as almost being tribal. And there's a sort of thing, a, a primitive thing in a way as humans. But it also matches the, the rock in Darwin, which is quite orange and, and patterned. It's a really different rock from, you know, the east coast of Australia or the west coast. Um, it's also got that patterning of the bones and that thing of the rocks. So it all works together, but it's something different and it really stands out. Without that, that painting would just die. Yeah, so, I agree. I think it's, it really is a crucial part. I must of have painted that, those colours about 50 times to get the right colour because I, I made it a bit red and then that didn't work. Then I made it a bit yellow, it didn't work. And then finally I got the yellow and purple sort of uh, opposites to put together and that worked. So it takes a lot of um, mucking around. So. Oh, so you find you do muck around a lot with your paintings? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time, all the time. It's not just, people look at it and it looks all done and quick and fresh, but it's a lot of research. And you'll see that in the back with my sketchbooks and uh, design notes and collecting objects and images and things. They all add to a painting and it's going that little bit of extra 5-10% that can really kick a painting forward. So over the years I've learned to really try to do the research as well on the studio pictures. Um, 
and be, doing the, the plain air, you get a lot of the information early, but then sometimes you need to go back and add more and more to make it a really interesting painting that stands out from the rest, I guess. Yeah. And with the sketchbooks, um, how does that work? Like, would you um, be actually sketching from life usually? Is that yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. Well, normally I have a sketchbook with me everywhere. And when I travel, I just constantly, obviously at a cafe, drawing people, I'll draw all day long. I might do five to eight um, drawings a day. Like if I went to, I went to Naples recently when, before COVID and I was there a week and I came away with a hundred drawings. And from that, that informs your work back in the studio and you might use 10 of those figures into a, into a painting and then I might get somebody back in the studio to adopt that pose that I saw. Um, I use collage, I use images that I see um, and they all sort of are put around the painting and that's how you make these strange, weird paintings, I guess. It's a, an amalgam of everything from life, research, um, studies, plain air and studio works. It's just I'll, whatever it takes to get the work over the line, I'll do. Yeah, fabulous. Um, visitors to the gallery are also going to be able to see near the sketchbooks etchings as well that you've done. And you've been mm. doing etchings for decades mm. um, with Tom Goulder, I think. Yeah, down yeah. duck print. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, how does that fit in with your um, practice? I think that's a different way of thinking. So it's a different line, it's a different process. You've got to work backwards. Um, uh, you've got to scratch into a plate and so the line is white not black and uh, it's a different discipline so you're using all your skills and sometimes they can really stuff up if you get that wrong if, if, and you don't get too many chances at um, printing if you get the image wrong um, you can always work back into a plate but it's a real discipline into getting the idea first and saying I'm going to commit to spending hours doing cross hatching so I really think hard about what image I'm going to capture before I do it. So it's also a, a, a real discipline for you, your thought process, just as much technically um, and the processes of actually working through it. And it's a completely different way of working. There's a history to it. You've got to understand what you, the processes. You've got to work with a, a, a printer who can add something special that you can't. Mm. So I just like doing that every couple of weeks. I go down, work on a plate. I used to do it a little bit more regularly than I have lately um, due to travel restrictions and things. But um, uh, I don't know, some of my favorite painters like Rembrandt, for example, used to just paint and print. Mm. And he had hundreds of prints. So I said when I was in living in London, when I was a young, younger man, I said, I'm gonna, I studied at the London Print Workshop uh, for a year and then just was, fell in love with the history of works on paper over there and came back to Australia and just tried to keep at it and do it. And so I've, um, amassed, I guess, a, a group of uh, prints over time, and some of them are showing here. Um, and it's been a real thing that I've learnt from my painting. You know, that mark making in, in printmaking has helped my painting in a way that I didn't think of. So, yeah, I've always thought it's part, it's like, almost like an amalgam to what I do. It's just yeah. something I do, and I'm committed to it, and I love it. It's, it's not a dying art, but I wish people would see more prints or be more print galleries here, because I think it's it's a special medium in its own right. Oh, and I love, deserve I it love more attention. and prints. Um, and I think when people come here, they're also going to be able to see a great example of a painting and an etching of the two, uh, the same subject. And that's Warren Ellis, the mm. portrait you did of Warren Ellis. And there's also a portrait, uh, a print of Warren yeah. Ellis. Um, which came first? Was it the... The etching... I finished the etching before I finished the painting. They were both at the same time. Oh, okay. So he sat for us and at the same time I said, I'm going to do a print as well as a painting. 
And so it was like a race, neck and neck. Um, <laughs> and I think the print won out in the end. Um, it, it came first. And yeah. then I finally finished the painting. So it was a real good study of their faces both at the same time. So as I was cross-hatching this really fine etching of Warren Ellis' uh, nose, for example, I said, oh, that's what I need. I need more form around the nostrils. I'd go back and work on the painting and the vice versa. That's so interesting. So, yeah, so I did it at the same time. So they help each other. And, and that's why? why they're showing together in the show opposite each other. So people will be able to look at the painting, then look at the print and yeah. go back again. So, yeah. Fabulous. And was, would that be something that you thought at the beginning, you thought, I am definitely going to do a, a print yeah, sometimes you just want to you want to do a print of somebody, yeah. and sometimes you don't. Yeah. Or sometimes a print works better than any painting that you could do, so you don't even bother doing a painting. So that's another thing to working in both mediums. They're they're like their own little special artwork in themselves and their own right. So some mediums call out for different subjects, um, so you approach it in a different way. You don't sometimes with a print you don't have to do a background; you just do the object or a portrait and you don't have to worry so much about what's behind it and you can let the print process take over that. Whereas a painting, I think, needs always a good um, mix between the background and the foreground. That, to me, shows a really good painter who finishes the whole image and knows how to, even if it's a simple background. That combination between capturing the foreground and the background is a sign of a good painter to me. And that's something that I learned from the, the masters over in Europe, you know, going around all the galleries. A Gauguin, for example, the background cloud is just as important as the foreground moustache on a, on a portrait. Yeah. Um, everything has its right attention. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think people can just focus on one area of a portrait and that's it, or a painting or a subject, and forget about the background. It's just enough to just put a little colour in, but painting needs more than that sometimes. Yeah, well, I think that is very evident in this um, exhibition, actually, because the backgrounds are so compelling. And, you know, even if there's a figure in the work, there's definitely not, uh, it's not just this only focal point. Mm. Um, yeah, well, an interesting figure that you've got in one of, another one of your paintings is in a painting that is set in Millthorpe, where you actually have a cottage and a yeah. studio there. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit about, about this work? Well, this is called the Railway Club. And um, there's a little museum out at Millthorpe where I spend a lot of time painting to get away from the city and quietly do all those laborious details that I have in my work. And um, there's a little museum there and it's got these old signs of, of Australia and um, all these old objects and things. So I went there, I was walking up there and saw these beautiful things and did this little painting. And, and Millthorpe's a bit of a railway town. It was where a lot of the wheat came to Sydney for, you know, um, all the farms out west yeah. and the railway used to uh, bring it out there and you, you can still catch the, the train from Sydney to Millthorpe every day goes in the morning takes four hours and you can go back in the afternoon back at Central yeah. and so there's a bit of a history there and it's a very sleepy town I love it and that's why I've got that's my well my partner uh, Leslie Post for me in these blankets in the corner it's a bit of an old world thing which I love too I love history I love that sense of going back in time in my paintings and also too with I love antiques, I love objects. And so there's a bit of that, like this old crocodile skull from the Northern Territory where I painted this at the time, when I painted this at the time, I was doing a series on the Northern Territory. So I just chucked that in there, old fur. So you've got different textures, the railway stuff, old mops. I love painting old mops for some reason. Oh yeah, And this great. sleepy old, I guess Millthorpian, the make-believe figure, which I put in the middle. And so it's a whole amalgam, but it makes this really sort of 
I guess it's the feeling that I get when I get out there. And this show originated through Orange Regional Gallery, who came up with the idea of putting together a survey of my work and that connection, and that's where the show will be going. And so yeah, this and is, and I guess, Orange a Milford. close to Milford, And, and it? it's only, yeah, 15 minutes away. So yeah. Orange is the town that I always go to, and my partner's from there, and I spend a lot of time in Orange over the last 25 years. So I guess it's a nod to that um, sort of uh, area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what I was wondering, I wanted to ask you when I was thinking about this show, whether seeing it all together like this, have you come to any unexpected sort of realisation about your own work? I mean, I'm, I'm springing this on you now, I haven't given you uh, any idea, time to think about it, but I would think if I saw all my work in one spot, I, I, don't, I think it would be quite a, a surprise in a way. Yeah, it's quite surreal to see all your a lot of your work, this is only like about, I think, two, uh, not even, uh, about half, just maybe under, about a quarter of the work that I've done. There was so much to choose from. Yeah. And so it was great that the curator had that responsibility to pick the works that he liked. Um, but seeing it, the one thing that I found out is I need people. I think there's always humans in my work, or an element of the, even if it's just a landscape, there's always some element of humanity in my work. And I didn't realise that that's something that I just have to do. And that's sometimes, why do you paint or why do you do it? I think I am probably, because I am, I guess, I'm quite uh, talkative, people who know me would say, but I'm also quite shy. And I thought that living as an artist, it's quite isolating, you know, constantly in your studio by yourself and you think you don't need to, people, I've just got my work, but I obviously need people. I love to chat. Um, and so it's something that's almost refreshing in a way. You go, oh, okay. People have always been a part of my life and that connection, I think, is important. Maybe that's what I'm doing in the paintings. I'm uh, trying to make a connection, even if it's narrative or not, but people seem to be the centre of it. Mm. And, of course, this show is going to Orange Regional Gallery after it's left SH Urban Gallery. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing it there as well because I've heard that it's been re newly um, renovated and yeah, it's got an amazing an amazing renovation space. out there and a new space. and. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's a great regional gallery and I think it will attract a lot of people too out there now with the new space and they've got some wonderful shows. William Kentridge is on at the moment, I think, out there and um, yeah, I'm so excited to be showing out there. It's almost like a second home for me. You know, yeah. the, local, the locals are now starting to say hello to me after 25 <laughs> years, so I feel like I'm a little bit uh, part of it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, fabulous. Well, good luck, Steve. Thank you so much for meeting me here today and showing me these works and talking with me about them and good luck with the show. My pleasure. Great to see you, Maria. What a great artist. Make sure you get to SH Urban Gallery if you're in Sydney or else catch it at Orange Regional Gallery. The details of both shows are in the show notes. There's something else I wanted to mention today. Some of you might be aware that we lost a beautiful artist last week, Philippa Batita, the Sydney artist who came onto the podcast last year. If you'd like to hear Philippa talking about her life and her art, go to episode 109 of the podcast where she spoke with me together with her fellow artist and friend and podcast guest, Louisa Cherkob, who was an incredible support to Philippa throughout her illness. We had a lot of laughs that day and I'll always remember it fondly. 
It's also Archibald Wynn and Sulman time of year at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and it's always fun talking with people entering their paintings into the prizes and I've posted my Loading Dock video on the YouTube channel as well as my interview with headpacker Brett Cuthbertson. So just go to the show notes for links to those. The finalists will be announced on the 5th of May as well as the Packing Room Prize. So I'll keep you posted about that on social media, which of course is Talking With Painters on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And even I've even posted a few things on TikTok. Thanks for listening today and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. Talking With Painters.